Welcome to the Life Unlimited Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice so you can confidently live your life your way for life. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to another Life Unlimited podcast with your host, Larry Heller. Today we have a guest, Yogi Patel. He's the managing partner at Outside Legal Counsel, LLP. Now he's got lots and lots of experience. I'm not going to actually run through the whole laundry list here because it's actually a lot, but he really focuses on privately held businesses and he works a lot with entrepreneurs. Now he's not only uh, you know the managing partner, but he's also an adjunct professor of law at the City University of New York, and he's been doing that since 2016. So today we're going to be talking about corporate transparency and non-compete. So Larry, take it away. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Yogi, for uh, for joining us today. I think the audience will learn some things. And we, like Matt said, we're going to talk about two different topics today. We're going to talk about Corporate Transparency Act, which is fairly n- new because I guess that's an act of the Corporate Transparency Act of 2024. And then we're going to talk about non-competes and what's going on in New York State and about uh, non-competes. So uh, so let's dive right in and let's start with the Corporate Transparency Act. So can can you give our audience a kind of a, an overview and the key provisions of the of the act and explain how this differs from previous legislation? Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you, Larry, for uh, having me on. Been looking forward to this, so uh, I appreciate it. In terms of a uh, Corporate Transparency Act, first of all, it's set to go into effect in 2024, literally in a couple of weeks. The key provisions are that new entities that are going to be formed, whether it's LLCs, corporations, and by the way, this is a federal law, so it's not just New York State. It applies you know, to every state uh, in the United States. will require to file a disclosure with uh, FinCEN, which is the you know part of the Department of Treasury, and the financial dis- the disclosure that essentially needs to be filed is what's known as the beneficial ownership information. Essentially, what the government's trying to do is get a a, rec- a document that reflects who the owners of these LLCs are uh, or these corporations are. The legislation essentially has anyone that owns more than 25% interest in these entities to disclose that information. So their name, social security numbers, you know, addresses. This is all stemming from years of shell companies essentially being utilized by individuals to hide the true owners of uh, corporations and LLCs. And essentially, this is the government's way of cracking down on that and uh, forcing, you know, parties to uh, essentially reveal this information. So let me, um, let me just, let me just stop yeah. you there and clarify this. So going forward, starting in 2024, if you own a business, whether you're an S corp, an LLC, an LLP, and you own more than 25%, you're going to have to declare, you're going to have to declare that. And then that's going to become public knowledge. So anybody's going to be able to find out who the owner of this corporation is, correct? Well, not necessarily. So there's a couple of different caveats here. It's first of all, it's not so new corporations and new entities that are going to be set up after, you know, after 2024 have, I believe it was 60 days. They just changed the rule to 90 days. So within 90 days, that information has to be disclosed and submitted to FinCEN. So it's the only other, new corporations. So if you if if you had one already, you don't have to worry about. No, this. no, no. Actually, that was the second part of my my statement. Is that that's for new corporations? It's a ninety day window for pre existing entities. It's before the end of twenty twenty four. So it's you know you have a year to essentially get this in. So it's it's every entity out there 
that you know that is not exempt, and I'll talk about that in a second. But there are certain exceptions of certain entities. There's a, a list of entities that are not subject to this rule. Let's put it this way: it's publicly traded companies, big banks, major financial institutions. Those are the types of companies that do not have to follow through with this statute. Everyone else, private, or smaller, pr- privately held businesses, are all subject to this this law. Uh, and to your specific question, it's entities that have you know pre-existing entities are also subject to this law. So it's uh, not you know the new entities. I guess the only difference is they have that has to be done within ninety days. Pre-existing entities have a little longer. They have to get it done before the end of the year of twenty twenty four. But that still is a requirement that every single entity is going to have. So and, so, you know, so the, then by twenty twenty five. Anybody that owns a corporation, people are going to be able to find out anybody that owns more than 25% of that corporation. So the that's the other piece of this is that this information is not supposed to be available to the public at large. Ah. So so it's meant to be maintained by the government, by Treasury specifically. However, the legislation does have language that the government has the ability to share that information internally. So to other government agencies within, my assumption is federal agencies, but not so sure if state agencies are also going to be privy to this information. It's not meant for, there isn't a public database that is going to be available for you and me to just log on to and you know figure out who owns what. But, but they could share it with like the IRS. That's correct. The mm-hmm. IRS, if there is, um, you know, Department of Homeland Security, you know, you name the agency, depending on what the basis is. And and I'm sure there's going to be a, one of the issues here, Larry, is that um, they haven't really the regulations have been sort of coming out in dribs and drabs. There, there isn't and, and they're changing frequently. So, you know, there's constant updates that are being presented. And there's also serious exposure in terms of like, well, who is supposed to complete this? And lots of, you know, attorneys and accountants are both who are, tr- who are traditionally involved in forming these entities do not want to take any responsibility for completing this information because you have to also disclose that, you know, in terms of if, if you are the one that's completing the information, you actually have to list your name and put your information down. And there may be some liability there if the information that's being provided is not accurate. So it's kind of like a hot potato. No one, no one really wants to own up to this obligation in terms of professionals uh, in helping clients deal with this. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So, who, so um, who do you who do you think is going to? Is this something you're going to do? Who do you think is going to be the and 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 obviously, like you said, Yogi, this is ongoing. So, by the time you're listening to this podcast, we may already have some clarification. So, check yeah. back with Yogi and uh, any updates. But as of now, who do you think is going to be doing this? Right now, I mean, we you know we constantly we form you know, possibly between, you know, two to five entities a week for different clients. And as soon as we've got wind of this, we have now essentially in our engagement letters disclosed this new law and the obligations that companies are under and essentially made our clients aware that we're not going to be doing this. So they need to find somebody else to do it or they themselves should do it. But once we have a better sense of what the regulations are, we may start providing this particular service to our clients in terms of helping them complete these documents and submitting them on their behalf. But until we have a better grasp of the parameters of this law and what the exposure is and and sort of how it's going to all play out, we're a little uh, reticent about doing so ourselves. And I understand from others that I've spoken to, they too, uh, you know, accountants specifically, everyone shares the same concern in terms of like, well, how does this expose us if the information that's being provided is not accurate? 
and uh, you know what you know what's the ramifications you know there. So, so if I'm a business owner and I own more than twenty five percent of my firm, what am I going to need to do in twenty twenty four? You're essentially going to have to go onto FinCEN's website and complete the you know the form. No one even knows what it looks like, by the way, right? Because you right up until now there you can't there isn't anything to submit today. You know, December fourteenth, we go onto that website. There, I don't I don't even believe it's a sample form or anything like that that's provided right now. So. No idea, <laughs> Larry, unfortunately, okay. in, in terms of what exactly, you, what we do know is that's going to be basic information with respect to percentage of ownership, right? In terms of like, what percentage do you own? Uh, your personally identifiable information, you know, including uh, addresses and potentially social security numbers that are going to have to be disclosed as part of this. But beyond that, I'm not really sure yet. I think we'll have that information coming up pretty shortly. Okay. Though. Have they come out and said, what happens if you don't? comply with this act in 2024 uh, yeah so there is there is a criminal and civil penalties associated with non uh, you know with failure to comply so it's it's essentially i have a feeling that they're going to try and make examples out of people who are not you know they, they, i'm sure there's going to be a bit of a grace period like there is generally speaking with every new legislation that's passed especially one that is so broad broadly sweeping and impact impacting so many businesses there's certainly going to be some grace period, but I, I do believe that, you know, they're, they, I, I don't remember off the top of my head what the statutory fines are in terms of the amount, but they're significant enough. And so is apparently the, this, a criminal prosecution uh, aspect of it. I, I imagine if the omissions are deliberate and willful, I, I, you know, that that's probably where that kicks in. But, you know, again, it's still the regulations are still pretty bare bones in terms of when this is going to kick in, uh, under what circumstances does it fall under civil versus criminal, what the numbers are, and that type of information. But, you know, look, the whole point here is that they, you know, they want to crack down on money laundering, essentially. I mean, that's one of the, you know, key key uh, goals of this particular uh, legislation, you know, having concerns about foreign nationals owning properties here in the United States under shell companies and not being able to figure out sort of who the end owner is or the, who the beneficial owner ultimately is. That that's essentially what this is all about. It's to these shell companies and the games that are often played in terms of hiding who the true owners are. That's what this is, you know, going after. Right. That, um, that's why I was just about to ask that question. And basically, what you said is they're going after making sure people aren't money laundering or uh, uh, doing things similar similar to that. Or so are there? Uh, I know you said some of the exceptions out there for companies that don't have to do, but are there any other potential challenges that businesses should be aware of and certain strategies they can employ to navigate these challenges? Well, look, I think, you know, one thing that we notice, right? So, you know, we work with a lot of business owners, obviously, and, you know, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you've, you know, you probably had this experience yourself where you'll have somebody say, I've been in business with so-and-so, you know, I've been part in a partnership with so-and-so for X amount of years, even decades. And, you know, we don't really have anything in writing. It's a handshake deal. Or the other the other part of it too that I often get is, well, you know, we haven't quite figured out, you know, what the percentage ownerships are. And, you know, we're still in the process of working that out, but we want to get the entity off the ground and eventually we'll sort all of that out depending on sort of what our funding needs are, this, that, and the other. I think the the real issue here is that, you know, before you could sort of get away with it, you know, in terms of you didn't need to disclose that information as part of the formation process, right? So you could have an entity that was off, you know, that was out created in existence, operating. There's no, even though there there are rules that, for example, in New York, the LLC law says, you know, you should have an operating agreement in place, but that operating agreement never gets filed in any governmental mm -hmm. agency, right? So 
there isn't really any real incentive for parties to actually you know, memorialize their ownership interest in business ventures up to this point, except for obviously avoiding disputes and making sure everything is clean and buttoned up. And that's good enough of a reason in our opinion, right, in terms of why that should happen. But the reality is, you know, startups and, and non-lawyers or generally don't place too much value to memorializing those types of documents. And so that's where I think there's, you know, now you're up against sort of this requirement where you do have to disclose this information. And by the way, there's also updates that are required to this. So the way I read the, the regulations that if you're bringing on new partners down the road, if you're changing the ownership percentages over time, you need to update this information. In other words, that's another trigger for resubmitting the, the, the information to the government. So I think that's going to be some of the real, real challenges here is to get folks to understand that you can't put this off anymore in terms of deciding what the ownership interests are going to be and what you know who's going to be subject to disclosure under this particular law. You can't just say, hey, we'll get to that when we get to that. You know, I think this needs to be sort of predetermined now and this conversation needs to happen much sooner. So anyone that's out there that's owning a corporation, keep posted and make sure that you uh, comply with this in 2024 as some of these changes become, uh, I guess, become permanent. Yeah. So let's let's switch gears a a little bit and let's talk about non-compete clause. And again, you know, today's podcast is December 14, 2023, when we're recording this. So by the time this comes out, both the uh, Corporate Transparency Act and now the non-compete clause, there could already be changes. But let's talk about the pending legislation in New York State regarding non-competition clauses and what are really the key changes and provisions that it's introducing to current law? Yeah, no, that's so. This is a really interesting topic, right? Because up to this point, non-competes or non have not been codified in any 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 manner in New York State. And what I mean by that is there isn't any law in the books with respect to non-competes. There's case law, you know, meaning that the challenges to non-com- non-compete clauses by by parties, and there is a whole body of law that has been developed through case law. But you know, and, and and just generally speaking, you know, what the rule right now is, is that in order for a non-compete clause to be enforceable, it has to be reasonable in geography and uh, in, in duration. Let and me just back up a second. Sorry, Yogi, and just explain to our audience what, what we mean by non-compete clause. So you want to tell everyone yeah, kind yeah. of what, I apologize, what that Harry. means? <laughs> no, sure. No. Yeah. So I so non-compete, you know, the idea, the non-compete is sort of the, the clause essentially states that, you know, once your employment ends with your current employer, you can't join another company that provides the same or similar services for a potential amount of time uh, within a specific area. That's generally how it's carved out. It's, you know, most employers have these clauses to protect their trade secrets, their intellectual property to keep you know employees from essentially taking clients with them even though that can be achieved through a non solicitation clause which is a little different than the non compete right the, 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 again the distinction there between the two would be the non solicit clause when you see that that's generally hey if you leave us and join a, another company you can't poach our existing you, you can't poach our clients you can't poach our employees so that's separate and apart from non-compete, meaning you can't go work for someone else, right? Um, that does something that very that does something as similar as we do in the same industry, you know, or whatever the case may be. 
So, so basically you're an accountant, you work for an accounting firm and you sign an I-compete that if you leave, you can't work in the accounting business, in the accounting world for, for let's say a year. That's a non-compete versus a non-solicit. You leave and you try to take some of the other clients. Is that a good explanation? Correct. So yes, they're, they're, not is, really, yeah. they're not really focusing on the non-solicit in this law. They're really focusing on the non-compete. That's absolutely right. So right? now and, what's and- the, what's the changes that they that are proposed now on the non non compete that won't there won't be a non compete that means anybody can leave and and go work for someone else essentially yeah that's where we're headed so so the so and this is what also what's sort of interesting you know, I've been sort of reading the, the so, so the, the New York State Assembly passed the bill I'd say sometime over the summer that essentially it's a cha- it's a new provision to the labor law that essentially outlaws non competes right there's really very limited exceptions that they would allow for non-competes to even exist uh, under the, the the version that has been passed by the assembly. It's awaiting the governor's signature in order to, to get enacted, and and that's and she the, the, the you know, governor Hochul has until the end of this year, until literally another two weeks, to essentially sign off on this legislation. My understanding is that there's been a lot of lobbying, expectedly from banks and other, you know, major employers who want to protect some type of, uh, want to retain some exceptions to this law. So they want to be able to impose non-competes on individuals that are earning over $200,000, for example, is one criteria that I'm hearing about in terms of trying to water down the existing legislation that has been passed by the, the assembly. Uh, the way the assembly has passed it right now, it's essentially just outlawing all non-competes, essentially. And, and and one thing I will say is that it's not, it's forward-looking. It's not backwards-looking. And what I mean by that is if you have a non-compete that was signed today uh, before the, the law went into effect in January, assuming she signs it, that non-compete that was signed would still be, in, is not voided as a matter of law. So essentially, all companies that have existing non-competes in their documents with their employees, they're still subject to the the prior common law, meaning are they reasonable in scope and in, in order to determine whether or not they're going to be enforceable. So they're not outlawed as a matter mm-hmm. of law uh, the way that the new proposed legislation is uh, intended to do, meaning starting to, you know January 1, 2024, you cannot have a clause like that if everything stays the same. If Governor Hochul, that you know, no changes are made to the existing legislation. That's going to be the fundamental difference. Okay, so so if you already have this in place, that should you still should be protected under the old law, but uh, anything going forward will uh, will will change. So, given that, what kind of advice do you will you give to businesses regarding their current non competition agreements and legislation? Are there, and there are specific recommended actions that they should take to ensure that they're in compliance. So look, I think that so there's a couple of different things out there. One is that this is just on a state level, right? There, there are there have been discussions brewing now for the last couple of years in terms of the federal government essentially outlawing non-competes, right? So the FTC, for example, has is in the process right now of getting comments from you know uh, part of the rulemaking process with agencies is there is a a comment period in terms of the agency taking feedback from the public in terms of proposed regulations. And so right now, the federal government, the FTC is in the process of doing so and, and kind of kicked off this can for about a year now. But there's a very good chance that non-competes, even if the New York doesn't enact this particular law or a version of it, 
there's a chance that on the federal level, it's going to get outlawed at some point. So that may impact all of this anyway, you know, irrespective of what happens. So that's something to keep keep in mind. But absent that right now, obviously nothing, you know, the advice that we've been giving employees, employers right now is that, A, you got to get it in now, right before the end of the year, given the current pending legislation, assuming it stays the way it is, at least we know that if you have one in place prior to 2024, that it's going to be considered valid. But having said that, you know, it still needs to be reasonable, right? It still needs to be narrowly tailored in terms of what the current law requires, or the, you know, case law requires, meaning it can be overly broad. You can't have, you often see language that says you can't work anywhere in the United States or anywhere across the world, you know, uh, for three years, five years, you know, that's, there's a good chance that if an employee decided to challenge that particular the clause, a court would agree. You know, it's public. The courts don't favor non-competes. The idea is that you know people should be out there free to kind of be employable or have a, a right to earn. You know, and and it needs to be balanced against the company's interest in protecting its its interest, but you know, not at the expense of somebody earning a living, right? So, our advice is: well, listen, if there's a way for you, and, and by the way, Larry, I mean we, you know, we represent a lot of executives working for major corporations, including Google and Amazons and, 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 and whatnot. And I can tell you, you know, right now that many of these major companies are doing away with non-competes entirely. They, they on their own, they're not even waiting for this. They see where this is headed and they see the value in sort of doing away with it. They're strengthening their non-solicitation clauses because they see that, you know, that's certainly you know, what's more important to them is not losing those relationships, not losing those business, cl- you know, clients walking out the door. But the idea of preventing somebody from joining a competitor for any particular amount of time, absent some type of garden leave, right? So the, in the financial industry, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is something that you, you know, you're probably aware of in terms of, you know, what you work for an investment bank or something like that, they're willing to pay you for six months, you know, after the, the end of your employment to sit on the sideline and essentially sit it out. That, by the way, is something that if an employer is willing to do, even under the new regulations, that might be permissible, right? So the idea here is it's one thing to kind of terminate an employee and say, okay, thank you. We don't need you. Oh, by the way, you can't work for anyone for the next six months to a year, but we're not going to compensate you for that time while you sit it out. That's kind of where that line is a little bit in terms of if you have a garden leave type of policy where you have the ability to actually... A, a policy that pays them for that six to you know eight months or whatever it is that you want them to sit out of the marketplace. There is more of an appetite for that, right? Because it's sort of like okay, you know, you're at least they're getting paid for that time period, and the employer is getting what they want, which is this cool down period, you know, in, in terms of their ability to move on to the next their competitors. So, I think that's kind of where the balance is going to be eventually. If and to me. You know, as an employment attorney that represents both employers and employees, that's something that I think is fair, right? I mean, the idea is, look, if you want somebody to sit it out, sit out, and you want them to not compete, then maybe you should pay them for that time period that you expect them to sit out, you know, and that seems like a fair deal. Both parties are getting what they want in that instance, you know, but right now, the way it stands, you know, that there is no such obligations unless the company takes that obligation on its own. I guess maybe there's going to be a lot of different exceptions here. I'm going to throw something out that we just went through with a with a client selling that the client is selling their business and they're a professional and part of the 
clause is that they're going to work there for another two years. But at the end of that period of time, they can no longer, they cannot operate within 50 miles of the business that they're selling for five, I believe it was five years. I'm not sure how long that would be. Obviously they're getting paid a buyout. So would that be something that would come under this exception and they wouldn't be able to compete somewhere, somewhere else, or would this possibly change? No, that's a, it's a that's a great great question, and and believe it or not, that's one of those sort of open ended issues that the new statute does not address. So, and to your point, non competes, you know, in, 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 with respect to the sale of a business, are very common, right? In terms of like that's a fundamental component of some of these transactions where there, there's an expectation that the seller is not going to then just turn around and go and join a competitor or start their own new business in that field. Interestingly, the law, at least the way the current legislation is is drafted, does not address that. It kind of leaves that, you know, that question open. Now, I've been reading some blogs and articles about this issue in terms of trying to figure out kind of where, how this is going to play out. There's a good argument to be made that the intent here is not necessarily to preclude that, right? Because this is you're not a traditional employee in that regard, especially if you are, you know, your transaction is, you know, there's an earnout component to it and you're still required to remain uh, with the company to help, you know, transition. And uh, you're still, there's money owed to you on account of different milestones that have to be met during that period, you know, for the earnout to, to materialize. And then as part of that, you know, the non-compete, you know, following that, is you know it's 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 apples and oranges in my opinion right in terms of like treating someone in that position the same as treating somebody who is just a w2 employee you know that is not benefiting from the sale of their business i uh, i don't think that's what the, the legislators intended but again it's silent and so i have a feeling that that's going to be probably another one of those issues that there's probably going to be additional regulations issued if this gets passed to provide some clarity on how that that's going to be dealt with but for the time being, it's an open question. I mean, that just seems, you know, fair. I mean, it, on the one hand, it does it does seem fair that if you're, I don't know, sell um, coffee at a coffee chain, and technically you sign an iron compete, you can't go sell coffee on the other side and make a living. That, that you know, that's kind of uh, understandable why the non compete doesn't make sense there. But if if there's something where it's a a business that's so highly technical, uh, you don't want that person to work. For for you for many years and then go go across the street and open up a, a competitor um, without any type of uh, delay in that. So uh, so I guess there's a lot of potential legal and practical implications that are still going to have to be decided on, upon about the pending legislation. So uh, any other suggestions or ideas on how employers should navigate some of these changes that are coming up? Look, I think, you know, uh, obviously uh, we try and for our clients, we are, you know, we constantly send uh, newsletters out to advise them on developments in terms of these areas of law that are potentially applicable to them. You know, it's it might be worthwhile to, let's say, with respect to the Corporate Transparency Act that we discussed earlier, you know, they have a, um, a subscription, a, a, almost like a newsletter that you can sign up for, which obviously we did, you know, months ago, just because this is sort of our industry and we wanted to you know, be aware of what was happening. But it's not a bad idea for business owners to also subscribe to some of these types of newsletters and updates that, you know, some of these governmental agencies are going to are providing. And I'd imagine that once the new legislation gets passed in terms of the non-compete, if it gets passed, you know, there may be similar types of uh, updates that, you know, uh, in, uh, businesses can 
uh, receive, you know, on account of that. And obviously, they're always welcome to sign up for our newsletters and receive that information that way as well. Right. So, Yogi, this has been great information for our uh, listening audience out there. And for those business owners, I I guess you got to be, you know, be prepared and be aware of some of these changes that are going to happen in 2024. Um, And you mentioned your newsletter, but if if anyone wants to reach out to you to find out more, have any questions about both the non-compete and the Corporate Transaction Act, uh, where can they get a hold of you, Yogi? You know, you could Google us, uh, Outside Legal Counsel LLP. That's the name of our firm. You could put my name in there, Yogi Patel, Outside Legal Counsel LLP, and that should take you directly to our website. And all of my contact information is on our website. Happy to speak. Drop us an email. Give us a call. Happy to jump on a call and help. Great, Yogi. Thank you so much for, uh, for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me on, Larry. Much appreciated. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the show today. Listen, there's a lot of complexity here and making sure that you have an attorney with experience in your corner and somebody who has a lot of experience like Larry and Heller Wealth Management with business owners specifically can make all the difference for you to make the best decisions, not only this year for and in the year to come. So we'll make sure that we have all of those links in the show notes for Yogi and Larry. And for Larry and Yogi, this is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.